The free world has its collective panties in a wad over Qatar's handling of the World Cup. And while I'm no fan of soccer or Qatar, I have something to say about all of it. And the show starts now. Here's the deal. Qatar is a Muslim country. Qatar is not a democracy. It's not a republic. It's not the United States. Qatar also happens to be the 2022 home of the World Cup, and all of those things I just mentioned were not unbeknownst to FIFA when Qatar was selected. So all this faux outrage oozing out now is worthless and laughable, and so are these virtue-signaling attempts by Americans and others to grandstand and flout Qatar's rules. Whether it's ignoring the dress code because of the personal need to dress like an escort at a soccer match, or demanding alcohol in a dry country, or the uniform's pride logos and symbols in a country that doesn't recognize gay, or the rushing of the field with a pride flag and a Save Ukraine getup, it's all a bunch of BS. And I'm not saying that because I believe in modesty dress code laws, or the prohibition of alcohol, or the criminalization of gayness, or any of it. I'm saying it because it's BS for people from other countries to voluntarily go to a restrictive Muslim country like Qatar and then demand that country they voluntarily travel to for leisure purposes bend to their demands, whims, and worldview. You see, I don't agree with Qatar's rules or the Muslim doctrine that dictates much of the Middle East, and that's why I won't go there. It's pretty simple. Furthermore, it's not like these self-righteous spectators are going to Qatar to fight for freedom, human rights, or democracy. They're going to watch frickin' soccer matches, for God's sake. So save your showboat grandstanding. You're not that brave. You're not that noble. You're not that special. So put some clothes on, drink water, forego your rainbows for a couple of weeks, or don't freaking go to Qatar at all. Boom. Simple stuff. And P.S. Soccer is a communist sport anyway, so there's that. But up next, I warned y'all about Kanye and have been warning y'all about Kanye for over five years now. He's not a conservative, he's a rat, and he's exposing himself as such more and more with each passing day. Here to weigh in on Kanye, that Trump meeting set up and more is Pastor Daryl Scott, and that's next. This man knows how to play the media game better than perhaps anyone. Whether he's on an award stage telling us President Bush doesn't care about black people or snatching microphones from pop stars or suddenly becoming a conservative or a Trump supporter or parading around in a White Lives Matter shirt, the man will do anything, and I mean anything, to be in the headlines and get attention. Come on, guys. Is this guy a conservative or just a self-obsessed celebrity who wants attention and uses the mega movement to do it? I just don't think the Kanye basket is the basket the conservative movement should be placing our eggs in unless scrambled is how we want them to come out. Oh, that was from October 10th right here on this show, but it's far from the first time I've warned y'all conservatives about jumping on the bandwagon or more accurately the sinking ship that is Kanye West. Is he an anti-Semite? I don't know his heart, so I can't make that claim, but I know he said some pretty anti-Semitic and all-around disgusting stuff in the last month, and I can for damn sure tell you he's not a conservative. But yet some conservatives, and I use that term loosely, are still wrapping their arms around this career narcissist, and it's not only a bad look, it's just bad in general. And now in yet another bid for attention, Kanye is not only running for president in 2024, but attempted to set up our former president in Mar-a-Lago with this stunt. Joining me now, and he's not holding back, is one of President Trump's religious advisors, Pastor Daryl Scott. Pastor Scott, thank you for being with me, and I know you got a lot to say on this one. Yeah, thanks for having me. Listen, Kanye is the clown, and he's been a clown basically from the word go. 
I can remember a few years back, we were talking about having a racial summit at the White House. I had Jim Brown and others that wanted to participate. And when Kanye West's name came up to be a participant, Jared Kushner looked at me and said, hey, you got to be careful with that guy. And he was absolutely right. He's an attention whore, a camera whore. He thinks all press is good press when it really isn't. And he's doing more damage to our conservatism. He's making us, uh, making a mockery out of us because so many of us are so quick to be so thirsty for celebrity affirmation that they're running after him just basically, you know, just excuse me, riding his job for no reason. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that I mean, is the guy's nuts. He's a clown. And that's what bothered me nuts. from the get-go. He's a clown. Yeah, he's a self-proclaimed genius. And, yeah. you know, to me, he's geniusly stupid. But he's he's an attention whore and he's a camera whore. And as you stated in your uh, video presentation, the mega, move, mega movement uh, attracts, you know, uh, attention. And he wants some of that attention. And he's also smart enough to know this. A black person with Hillary Clinton, a black person with Joe Biden, that doesn't make any news. A black celebrity with Trump does. And he tried to capitalize on us. And he did the president dirty last week when he did that, that, that stunt that he pulled. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But just to piggyback off of what you said, this is what I warned about going all the way back to 2017, 2018, yes. when he wore the mega hat and everyone's like, oh, this is going to be so great. Kanye West is going to get the celebrity vote and the black vote for Donald Trump. And I said, no, exactly what you just said. He wanted to be counterculture. He wanted to get attention. So he jumped on the Trump train without actually espousing any conservative ideals or principles whatsoever outside of just Kanye West being Kanye West. And I think that there were a lot of people that were really excited about it because they thought maybe this is the changing of the tide. Maybe this is going to bring more people into the movement. But they forgot that, as you know, and as I know, Kanye loves Kanye more than anything, and he will step over, run over, throw anyone under the bus to make sure that he gets attention and he gets money. And that brings me to what happened with this setup. Now, I think Donald Trump in his heart of hearts wanted to sit down with Kanye and help him, really help him, clean up his image, figure out what the heck is going on. And then he pulled that stunt on President Trump, and the media is having a heyday with it. What actually happened with that situation, and how does President Trump feel about it? Well, first of all, when Kanye West was on Tucker Carlson's show that night, I called the president right afterwards. I said, you see your boy Kanye on TV, right? And he said, yeah. And he said, well, he said some nice things about me. And I said, well, he threw Jared under the bus, that's for sure. And then the president said, well, you know, things like that happen. And we laughed it up. And, but I called him again. I talked to him the other night, night before, Sunday night. I talked to him this past Sunday night and he said, you know, that guy, he did me, he did me wrong. You know, he came down, he called me to ask, he said he wanted some business advice because of the financial losses that he had taken. And, and Trump is a very hospitable guy. People don't know that about him. He's very hospitable and he has a talent for making the smallest person in the room feel like the biggest person in the room. He's always been very engaging. In fact, a number of times I've been with him and I've had people with me and he'll ask, are they with you? Yeah, tell them to come on over. Let them come on in. They can come into the office. They can come sit at our table. He's done that with me at Mar-a-Lago before as well. And you know the setup down there, how he eats on an open patio and there are probably 75 to 100 people in that patio that he eats on every night. So he said, he said the guy came down 
to ask me business advice. And he gets there and starts talking crazy. And he brings some people with him. I didn't know who these people were. He said, and then come to find out it's a white supremacist. You know, and he's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now I've got to deal with this. And so he wasn't pleased with it. And I wasn't pleased with it either. Because when you go back and look how Kanye was videoing himself at the airport coming in and everything, he knew what he was doing. It was all a, a, a setup. It was a photo op, a video op. He knew what he was doing. And he went straight to to the video afterwards to post on Twitter and give his side of it. And it wasn't a good look for him. And it definitely wasn't a good look for the president. But I guarantee this, he won't get a second chance to do it. I tell you that much. Yeah, it's all just such a mess. And I think if we just stick to the principles of the movement, that's how we succeed. It's not about chasing celebrity. Even with Donald Trump, I'm a big Trump supporter, but I don't like Donald Trump because he's a celebrity, because he's a billionaire, because of his personality. I like Donald Trump because he got stuff done for our country and he doesn't back down. That's the core of who he is. But more importantly, that's a movement that he created that was will be around long after Donald Trump is in politics. That brings me to my next question for you, which is the future of the mega movement, Trump 2024. We know he had his announcement just a couple weeks back. I'm sure that you're very excited about it. A lot of Americans really are. But, you know, they're already setting up a Trump versus DeSantis run for 2024, even though Ron DeSantis has not announced he's running or even really hinted at it. What do you see that that um, situation to be heading into this next election cycle? Well, I... I I knew Trump was going to run again. He told me he was going to run months ago. He didn't want to announce it for different reasons. Uh, but he said the one thing he did on his last run that he won't repeat is he tried to appease too many people. He tried to appease too many rhinos, never Trumpers, and quote unquote unify the party. So he brought people into the administration that really weren't on his side. They were backstabbing, double dealing behind his back. He said, when I go in next time, I'm bringing my people with me. So that's one thing. As far as the message of the movement is concerned, you know, a, a, a lot of things that he learned as president, he learned on the job. He has more wisdom now. He has more knowledge. I think he'd be a better president the second go round simply because of the experiences that he had during his first go round. I think the MAGA movement is very strong. People were panicking during the midterms, you know, and then I had to remind them, I said, listen, in the midterms 2018, we retained the Senate and we lost the House. Now, the Democrats retained the Senate and, and, and they lost the House. We have the House. It's gonna, we're going to be all right. And I really believe his announcement kind of calmed everybody down, stabilized it. He's taking a break because of the holidays, but he's going to come out, you know, in full force. When I talked to him last week, he said, listen, we got about a year and a half. So get ready. I'm going full throttle with this. And he's going to come out. His message is going to be strong. And here's the thing. He won't have to play defense this time. He can play offense. The Democrats are on defense now. He can point to Joe Biden's accomplishments or lack of accomplishments, his gaffes, his, his disastrous administration, the shape of this country. We're in the worst shape that we've been in in a long, long time. He can point to all that. And there is Biden's buyer remorse on the street, especially in the black community. There's Biden buyer's remorse. I don't care what people say, how they try to spin it. We don't like the prices. We don't like the gasoline. We don't like this national climate. Biden's done all. We knew it was going to be bad. We didn't know it was going to be this bad. So I think President Trump can capitalize on that, regain the presidency. And to be quite honest, DeSantis don't want this smoke. He needs to just be cool, sit back there, because if he goes head to head with Trump, Trump's going to annihilate him. Just because he's popular in Florida doesn't mean he's going to be popular nationwide. And so 
uh, he'll have to see that uh, he, he doesn't want this. If he sits down and thinks it through, he doesn't want it. He doesn't want the smoke. He doesn't want that <laughs> smoke from Donald Trump. Nobody wants the no. smoke from Donald Trump. I have to say, though, I really look forward to if uh, Joe Biden does run again and Trump is our nominee. I really look forward to those debates because <laughs> the <laughs> the cognitive disability of Joe Biden has slipped even more since the last debate. So that would be really interesting. Uh, I wonder, though, my last question for you. There is no question that Donald Trump did a great job with our country. And to me, there is no question he would do a great job again. I mean, his accomplishments are undeniable. His ability to lead is undeniable. His policy is undeniable. But my fear is this, the Trump derangement syndrome that has seeped into these liberals' heads and they control the media and they control Hollywood and they control academia. It is so strong in their heads and it is affecting them so much that I wonder if that Trump derangement syndrome is going to override people's good sense to vote for somebody who's going to get our damn country back. And that is where I'm a little concerned. And that's a that's a great concern. Amen. Because a lot of people have been deluded and have been brainwashed, so to speak, against Trump uh, so that they can't hear the truth because their head is full of the lies. Let's take it back to this example about this dinner with Kanye West. The media is still trying to beat the drum as if Trump invited a white supremacist there, uh, a Nazi sympathizer, Holocaust denier there intentionally to have dinner with him. And that wasn't the case at all. He was blindsided. He was sandbagged. But the Trump derangement syndrome is so bad. And on top of that, if Joe Biden takes a dump on the White House grass, you'll have his apologist trying to say, well, he was just putting good fertilizer down. And so you have this negative balance. You know, the Bible says a false balance is an abomination. And people don't judge righteous judgment when it comes to uh, Donald Trump. So he'll have a lot to overcome in that respect. I pray that the, the, excuse me, the Republican Party really gets behind him this time, that we don't have all these never Trumpers and these rhinos and these ones that are working against him. Uh, Congress needs to get behind him. We need to go on the offense, go on the attack, really support him. And I really believe that he can have more of a successful presidency than he had before. Well, I'll tell you this. It's never a wise move to count out Donald J. Trump. So we'll have to wait and see. Thank you for all of your hot takes, for never holding back. And I hope to see you real soon, maybe after the Georgia runoff, and hopefully we have another Republican in the Senate. Thank you so much, Pastor Scott, for being with me today. God bless you. Thanks for having me. God bless. All right. Still ahead. She fought the good fight in Georgia last election go around and now just days ahead of the latest runoff. She's here to break it all down. Kelly Leffler is on deck. We are less than a week away from yet another Georgia runoff election. So who is it going to be? The radical faux Christian Raphael Warnock or the former NFL star turned Senate candidate Herschel Walker, who has been plagued by personal scandals and an uphill battle of a campaign. But joining me now is someone who knows a little something, something about the trials and tribulations of an election, a runoff and a Trump endorsement. Former Georgia senator and founder of, founder and chairwoman of Greater Georgia Action, Kelly Leffler. Kelly, thank you so much for being with me. Great to be with you, Tommy. Thanks for having me. So you got to tell me, what is the deal with Georgia? I mean, the second one, the second election, we have this. <laughs> I always looked at Georgia as kind of a reliably red state, but it's really not that way anymore. It's a toss up. Things are incredibly close. Why do you think Republicans are struggling to make that the true red state that I believe it inherently is? Well, it's a great question. It's really important to understand the dynamics here on the ground in Georgia. We've been working for the last two years since I left the Senate to make sure that everyone knows that this is a red state. The fact is, this is a red state, but it's a wash in blue state money. 
And what's happened is the Democrats have come in here and tried to define our state as liberal, but that's not the way these elections went in November. And in fact, they really didn't go that way in 2020 in terms of if you look at the statewide offices, if you look at the uh, statewide elections we just had in 2022. Um, and we have to get back to playing checkers, uh, chess, not checkers, because what's happened here in Georgia is the Democrats have brought in so much money. They've defined uh, Republicans in a way that is completely inaccurate. And what's happened uh, with Raphael Warnock is he's created this Hollywood myth. Uh, he's campaigning with a dog instead of Joe Biden because he can't run on his record. And Georgians know that they are, well, they're starting to find out his votes in the Senate that he will never talk about in his ads. So voting for things like masking kids in 2022, vaccine mandates. He voted for boys in girls sports. He voted for open borders. He voted for reckless spending time and again, and continuously voting for ending America's energy independence. And so that's only starting to get out. But if you think about what happened on November 8th, Governor Kemp won resoundingly over Stacey Abrams. And Raphael Warnock is Stacey Abrams' hand-picked Senate candidate from 2020. And people are starting to understand that Warnock's voting record is radical. It doesn't represent them. And they want to get back to normalcy. And when you look at the numbers, Herschel was only behind Warnock by 35,000 votes. That's in a state where 4 million people turned out to vote. And Warnock outspent Herschel by about $78 million. And so it's really incredible to see the energy on the ground here still. Polling places have had lines out the door for the last three, four days. Um, and it's going to be really tight. Yeah, I think that that's what we're all worried about. We know the way it went in 2020. I don't have to tell you that. I mean, it was a big upset. People were very upset about it. But it, it is really weird, the dynamics of this last election, because Brian Kemp, like you said, he won, and he won resoundingly, won handily. And Stacey Abrams, who brought in all the money, she lost. But she has been a force to be reckoned with. So it's weird to me that there was such a difference between what Brian Kemp was able to do at the top of that ballot and then Herschel Walker. You know, let's be honest, maybe Herschel is not the best candidate in terms of being able to speak and being able to debate. I think we can all be honest about that. I think he would be great in the Senate. I hope that he is the senator from Georgia. But there has been an uphill battle there. There's been a lot of personal scandals that haven't helped him involving his family. So he's had a rough go of it. But I wonder, going back to your experience and the now in 2022, looking to 2024, the power of the Trump endorsement, do you think that that's helping or that's hurting candidates as we sit here today in December, almost December of 2022? Yeah, I think, look, we are and we have to continue to be the party of addition, uh, not subtraction and division. And so I think people understanding the stakes of the election here will unite us a very broad and diverse coalition around pushing Herschel across the finish line. And so look at this point, I think it's, you know, neutral to positive because what I saw in our election was that when people feel like their voice isn't heard, they stay home. And we have to make sure that we have everyone represented in our election uh, in 2021 uh, in the runoff. We had what was it? 339,000 Republicans that voted in November stayed home. And so what we have to do is make sure we're bringing those groups back. We're working on growing women, 
the Hispanic community, the Black community. And so we need strong leaders representing every coalition to bring conservative values back to Georgia, because that's the only way that we're going to get this done. It's exactly the playbook the Democrats do. And when you talk about someone being a, a, a perfect candidate or a, a imperfect or flawed, you only have to look as far as Raphael Warnock, who has been arrested for obstructing a child abuse, abuse investigation for attempting to run over his wife's foot with his Tesla and has so much personal baggage, but the mainstream media here will not cover it. They only want to focus on Trump and here's what's going on with Herschel and they will not talk about it. It's almost like the Hunter Biden laptop situation where they completely suppressed that information until after the election. What's so odd to me as well is that much of the mainstream media, as well as the far left, the wokesters, the keyboard warriors, the green hairs, as I call them, they're really odd the way that they are characterizing this race because uh, newsflash to everybody, this is two black men. But for some reason, they don't really count Herschel Walker as a black man because he's a Republican. Every time I turn on any pop culture show from Bravo to any of the liberal outlets, they speak about Herschel Walker as if he is actually Donald Trump, like in Donald Trump's skin. And they completely discount the fact that, yes, he is a black man. He is a black candidate that happens to have an R behind his name. But he's not given the same celebration as Raphael Warnock or Stacey Abrams or any of the other black candidates in this election or others. And I find that very odd that they're able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think what happens is it goes against their narrative that um, they want every American to believe the Republican Party stands for something that it doesn't. And it really is um, frustrating for people in Georgia because we're a state that is very diverse and we've had record turnout. They try to vote, uh, say that our voting laws are voter suppression laws, that we're a voter suppression state. And we're really a state that embraces our diversity, welcomes people in. And the conservative movement has been the party of addition in the last two cycles. Uh, the mainstream media won't cover that. They won't talk about Hispanic uh, and black participation growing up, going up on the Republican side. And the fact is, 55 percent of our electorate are women. And that's a group that is growing in the conservative movement. So I think when it goes against the narrative, they try to silence you and they won't cover the, the positive things that are happening. Um, and that's just something that we as a movement have to get ahead and again, get back to playing chess and not checkers, thinking right. two, two or three moves down the game board um, and making sure that we don't get defined, that we're out talking about the positive things that we stand for, um, like our kids, defending um, our kids, um, having a good education, to have the freedoms uh, in their lifetime that we've uh, been blessed to have in ours. And the list goes on and on. It certainly does. And another thing I want to talk about is another thing that Stacey Abrams has been able to do. I mean, you got to hand it to her. She is an operative of all operatives. She raises a lot of money, but she's also been able to embed things into schools and into popular culture and really mainstream some things that are of big concern. When we talk about the young vote, what has she been able to do in Georgia that concerns you, at least from a Republican strategy standpoint? Yeah, I mean, she's done some really concerning things that I've actually blown the whistle on. I filed an open records request last year when I found out that she had planted divisive curriculum in schools under the cover of civics education, um, you know, pushing kids towards uh, liberal activism with campaigns, um, not talking about 
the importance of our country, our country's founding, and the process of a bill becoming a law, basic things, why we vote, why it's so important to have a, a Supreme Court and division of powers and not one party rule in Washington. But, you know, I think Stacey Abrams, you know, got a message sent to her on November 8th that vote, she doesn't represent Georgia's values. She doesn't represent the future of our state. And that's why Governor Kemp had a resounding win. And so it's important, though, that we continue to work year in, year out, not just during an election year. And that's why I have my organization, Greater Georgia, in operation at all times so that we can catch these kind of things like curriculums being taught in school that don't represent facts and history. Um, and we're going to keep pushing back on that and shining a light on it. Well, and this election is just so important as well, because we know what the Democrats have done to our country in just a couple of years and them having, you know, even more power in the Senate is certainly not what we need. When we look to election integrity, a lot of Republicans are very concerned about it. And I fear that they're going to nationalize elections, legalize ballot harvesting and voter ID, all those things that are going to make it really difficult for Republicans to compete moving forward. Kelly, we're all looking at Georgia. We hope that there is a big victory next week for Herschel Walker. And thank you for all the work that you're doing. You know, we're in Tennessee. We're neighbors. And, uh, you know, Georgia should be just as red as Tennessee. And we appreciate you working on that. We're, we're going to try to make it that way because, Tommy, just last week on the stump, Raphael Warnock said he would be the vote that pushes election integrity across the finish line, which his vision of that is no voter ID, ballot harvesting, illegal uh, immigrants voting in our elections. So we have to keep fighting on this. We do. And it's so important, not just for Georgia, but for the United States as a whole to make sure that we safeguard our elections. We can't keep allowing them to get away with some of the things that they've got in the works. Kelly, thank you so much and uh, good luck to your state next week. Thanks, Tommy. All right. Up next, the Chinese people are rising up against COVID tyranny, and it's leaving American liberals really conflicted. My final thoughts are next. The Chinese people are taking a stand against their communist, COVID-obsessed, freedom-sucking government, which is leaving American liberals really conflicted because while they claim to be social justice warriors, they also have a sick affinity for tyranny and COVID control. It's time for final thoughts. It took damn near three years, but the Chinese people, or at least the brave ones, are finally taking a stand against the communist tyrants and their zero COVID policy. For nearly three years, these people have lived like prisoners of war on house arrest with their communist government holding COVID over their heads like it was the people and not the corrupt government itself that created the virus. But oddly, American Democrats and American mainstream media controlled by Democrats just can't really wrap their minds around letting COVID and COVID control go. Just yesterday, an article in NPR lamented the tough choice that Chinese Communist Party must make, keep its people, its subjects and oppressees rather, under perpetual lockdown and continue to strip them of their basic human rights and freedoms for a virus that is never going to be eradicated or let them be free to live, work and move on like human freaking beings yeah, NPR, tough choice. I feel bad for the Chinese Communist Party, too. What a nail biter. You've got to be freaking kidding me. These liberals are really something. They will advocate up, down, right, left, and sideways for the burning, looting, and destruction of American cities in the name of career thugs St. George Floyd and BLM and call it necessary and justice. 
But when the truly oppressed people of communist China rise up for real equality, freedom, and a flippin' shred of basic self-determination, American liberals just can't quite decide if that's too risky, too far. Unbelievable. This is how in love and addicted they are to their precious and beloved COVID fear porn. It's sick, it's twisted. It's the disease of liberalism 101, and it's a sickness that kills far more dreams, ambitions, and futures than COVID ever has or ever will. So screw the Chinese Communist Party and screw anyone who believes it's in the people's best interest to be locked in their homes for weeks, months, years on end. And those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.